This podcast is brought to you by Danette May and Mindful Health LLC, featuring Danette May's top superfood product from her Earth Echo Foods line, Cacao Bliss. Nothing feels better than being able to enjoy rich, smooth, creamy chocolate and knowing you're doing something great for your body. It starts with 100% organic cacao beans that are naturally kissed by the sun, maintaining its miraculous health benefits. It's then blended with turmeric, MCT oil, coconut, Himalayan sea salt, cinnamon, and black pepper for the perfect blend to make you feel your best. The result? Fall in love with a truly decadent, healthy, guilt-free chocolate. Removing cravings, facilitating weight loss, boosting your energy, and reducing inflammation with one simple drink. Not only that, it's friendly to paleo, gluten-free, keto, vegan, and vegetarian diets. For the last eight years, Earth Echo Foods has been a leader in the superfoods market and are proud to have served millions of customers worldwide. Use the code TRANSPARENT and receive 15% off your purchase today. Go to earthechofoods.com forward slash transparent with Tina. Hi, and welcome to Transparent with Tina. I am Tina Marks, your host. Today's guest is a psychologist, author, speaker, coach, and podcaster. And she's just been named the number one leading expert in resiliency in the world. Today, she's going to share her five practices that lead you to be the most resilient you. Up next, Dr. Taryn Stasekel. Welcome, Dr. Taryn Marie. Nice to see you. It's so nice to see you. Oh, thank you. I like that kind of greeting. Absolutely. Absolutely. I, uh, yeah, I'm so excited and happy to be here with you today. Thanks so much for inviting me. Oh, absolutely. I feel exactly the same way. I mean, you have done a lot in your life. You've overcome a lot, even though you don't use that word, which we're going to get into later. You don't say <laughs> overcome. You did something else. I'm going to leave that up until later in the interview. But, Spoiler um, alert. Yeah. So, uh, you know, as, as I said in your intro, you're a psychologist, you're an author, you're a speaker, you're a coach and a podcaster. Okay. So we always start with your backstory. How, how, how did you find your purpose and which one came first? I think it was, you were a psychologist first, correct? Well, you know, that's a really, (laughs) as with all questions, that's a very interesting question. So I did pre and postdoctoral fellowships actually in neuropsychology. Yes. Yeah. And so I thought, you know, it's this, this whole question of purpose is fascinating, isn't it? Because Mm -hmm, Um, I feel like relative to purpose, we're all either trying to find it, uh, evolving what is that purpose, you know, to borrow from the Simons and like, what is our why? And if we found it, we're actively, you know, aligning with our purpose, right? Mm -hmm. So I think, you know, so often when we talk about purpose, um, we use also finite language, right? Around this sort of like once and for all, right? Like I'm, I'm just sort of like find my purpose and then and we're then gonna- it's like park it and leave it, right? Yeah, right. I'm, I'm, yeah. With you. I'm with you. It's like, it's, it's constantly evolving. It's constantly evolving. And yeah. so every time in my life, I've thought that I've found my purpose, mm-hmm. call it when I get to that sort of figurative summit of purpose, 
I'd be like, oh, this is a very nice view from the summit of my, of my purpose. And oh, look at that mountain over there. I think I might like to climb that next, right? So it's been this very, like, for me, a very iterative uh, process. And, and one more thing I'll just say sort of high level before I get into specifics. You know, I also find, and I wonder if you find this, Tina, in your work as a coach, um, I find that purpose is a very exciting, it's, it's a very exciting and livening um, thing for people. It's also very painful for people who don't know what it is, haven't found it, oh, haven't yeah. been able to capture it. You know, it's, it's, there, there's a lot of churn around, around purpose and sadness and difficulty and, and loss too, that I think is important to voice. I, I'm really glad that you brought that up. And you know what? I share similarities with you because I read somewhere, I think it was on your website, that from a very young age, you mm -hmm. couldn't wait for the phone to ring for your friends to call you up and basically <laughs> you're coaching them. Right? right. And you know, when, when I get that, ask that question, how long have you been a coach? I'm like, how long have I not been a coach? I felt That's the right. same way. I mean, what lights me up is, um, is figuring out the blocks in, in somebody like I have an innate ability to see a block in somebody right away. Not so much mm -hmm. myself, but you know, that's, that, that's part of the course. Right. But mm -hmm. I, I, I find so much uh, fulfillment in that. And it's like a, it's almost like a puzzle. It's like something that really in, in, intrigues me mm -hmm. and I feel like I'm good at it. And that was like my gift. So um, I remember being very, very lost in my early adult years. I mean, I kept going from job to job to job and everybody in my family just thought I was flaky. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. I'm like, no, I'm not. I have a very active mind and I'm very passionate. So I've got to be passionate about what I do. Otherwise I will get bored and I'll move on. And I remember thinking at back then there weren't coaches. There were just psychologists and I hadn't gotten to college. And I'm like, mm -hmm. and I hated school couldn't mm -hmm. stand school. I, my, you know, I've got four different kinds of ADD. So you can imagine going to school and I'm thinking, oh, I'd have to go to four years university. And then I'd have to go four more years. So that was just like basically off the table. I knew I wanted to help people, but I didn't know what, to what capacity. So all those years, yes, I struggled. I felt like everybody else is getting ahead. Everybody's finding their path and I wasn't. And what, why, what's wrong with me? What's wrong mm -hmm. with me? You know, why everybody else is doing this, you know, when, when you're kind of singulared out and it's not happening for you and you feel like life's passing you by and um, it, it can be a real struggle. I, I definitely, definitely, uh, I, I, I can, I'm in complete agreement. Yeah. Yeah. So, so true. And I think you highlight so many really important kind of elements um, sort of the, the, on the well-known journey of purpose, call it the lesser well-known or, or lesser talked about, um, elements of that are the, the pain and the struggle and the social comparison, you know, that you called out kind of at least feeling like everyone else is excelling and you're the only one and, um, it's lonely. You know, it's, it's lonely and everybody else seems happy doing what they're doing. And, and you had this moment of feeling unfulfilled and, and people thought you were flaky, but it was really more about, you know, you needed to have a, a level of passion and, and conviction and connection to the work that you're doing. So that 
sense oftentimes of being misunderstood. So I, I love that you brought all of those things. And I couldn't even make a relationship work. So it's like, I wasn't even like married and had the children thing down. Right. So I didn't have the career down and I didn't have that side down either. So yeah, I. Yeah. Well, I don't, I don't know about you, but I'm immensely thankful for all the things that I wanted to work that didn't. (laughs) Oh, absolutely. Yes, absolutely. You know what, you know, you and I were talking before, uh, we started recording and I was saying that faith is in the forefront of my life. Absolutely. Mm. Hands down. And, um, I had to go through all this to find my faith, to realize how important it is. And, um, I do believe everything happens for a reason. And I think Mm -hmm. you're missing the boat if you are not learning your lessons, because, you know, I, I, I was just saying today, my day started off like crazy. I was doing a IG live giveaway and um, my co-host, who was supposed to be, she's the founder of the company that we were giving away the product. We got our lines crossed and she could not make it. And mm. I, the old me would have gone into a tailspin. Mm. What? Oh my, you know, and I, and, I, and I said, I think that challenges sometimes are there just to really show you as, as a benchmark how far you've come. Because all of a sudden it dawned on me in the midst of all this, instead of getting carried away with the anxiety and what am I going to do in the panic and, or the anger? I mean, anger and pointing fingers, right? Cause that would be the old, I stopped and I went, wow, you're, this is fine. You know, the show must go on. <laughs> yes. It was fine. The world didn't end, but you know what the old me, it always ended. I mean, it, I would put such charge behind anything that didn't go according to plan. Anything. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and this is one of my favorite, you know, my, my focus, as you know, is, is being, um, I guess we're saying, um, awards recently that say I'm the number one international expert on resilience. So working on stepping in to that title, Mm -hmm. I appreciate those awards and uh, it's hard, it's hard to say, it's hard to say out loud, mm-hmm. um, and exciting to say. Um, and you know, one of the, one of the really powerful elements that we get to talk about in the context of resilience, um, is, is challenge is change is complexity. And, you know, just to sort of wax philosophical for just a moment. Um, you know, I find that a lot of the work that's being done on resilience today doesn't resonate with me, you know, and it's sort of like, oh, we're making cupcakes and we're doing, you know, and, and I think there can be this, that I think there, there can be this tendency to gloss over to, to sort of whitewash the messy, uncertain, chaotic, traumatic, disappointing, moments that are at the nucleus of that challenge, change, and complexity that absolutely catalyze our ability to to demonstrate and to harness and to enhance our resilience. And so I love to talk about these moments of challenge because rather than sort of like 
whitewash or gloss over them, right? That is really the, the moment when we're being formed. And what I like to say about challenge is, you know, challenge um, exists, you know, in, in large part for us to continue to form ourselves as humans. Mm-hmm. Um, Proust, uh, who was a, a poet, um, you and those of you listening may know, when he looked back at his life, he was like, the time I was happy, that was all crap. I didn't learn anything. It was the oh, oh yeah, no. it was the the moments of suffering that like tr- it, it it was, you know, it's it's heart wrenching. It's um, searing pain, and it's also these the moments when we are truly being formed. And I I like to say that um, when we face challenge, we get to to move from the mindset of seeing challenge as the period at the end of the sentence, like the end mm-hmm. to seeing, ah, challenge is the comma in the sentence. That is the invitation of, do we want to go on? Yes. You know, how much do we want this? And when we start to see challenge to your point as the comma, as the necessary um, stuff that's part of our formation and growth, then we have a different relationship with those moments. Absolutely. Absolutely. It all boils down to your perspective on what that, what the challenge signifies to you. Mm-hmm. Right. You know, I heard recently, um, that it's like God's way of working on you, a challenge, mm-hmm. right. Mm-hmm. And it's like molding you it. And, and that's exactly what it is because it, I mean, it's just, it's known that we don't change unless it's painful enough. Because when you're comfortable, you know, I tell all of my clients, I said, get used to being uncomfortable as, as your new normal. And, you know, your first reaction is like, I don't want to feel uncomfortable the rest of my life. I said, yes, but it's not going to feel uncomfortable the rest of your life. It's mm-hmm. going to become your new normal. So like I have several clients right now doing a challenge, a 30 day challenge where they face one fear every day. Mm. Okay. And the one that is excelling in this, she was the first one to start it. I said, she said, yes, yeah. is it starting to feel habitual now? She goes, yeah, it's like when I don't want to do something, it's like now I don't let myself get away with not doing it because, you know, she's been probably, I think she's on day 16 or 17. And it's like, wouldn't that be wonderful? If it's like, if, think about it, if you're, if you're facing one fear every day, and I wrote about this in my book as one of the principles you're not going to really be scared of much anymore because you know you're building up that muscle instead of shrinking in front of fear you know you just rise to the challenge i mean you're you're going to do one of the two okay you're either going to rise to the occasion or you're going to shrink away from it so if you're building up that muscle it's going to seem normal to just of course just face it just like i did today and the more that you put on your plate the easier it is to do so when the real challenges, like maybe a health challenge or a death in the family or something like that, you know, it, it's like it, pay, it pales so much in a comparison to something like that. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. So tell me why I, you are the expert in, in uh, why they say that you're the expert in, um, sorry, just lost my train of thought. Yeah. The expert. I'll, of- I'll help you. I'll help you out. It'll help me to practice saying it out loud. Yeah. So yeah, there, there we go. That's the reason I did that. See, it was my little <laughs> I, pre- I mean, what an amazing coach you are. I didn't even, you know, didn't oh. even know, know you were, you were doing that to help me. How, how gracious. Of I you. know, I know I'm, I'm an empath. Yes. 
Yes. <laughs> yeah. The, the number one international expert on resilience. Resilience. Yeah. Resilience. resilience. Yes. Mm -hmm. So tell us, how did you get that title? I mean, what is it about you, you know, that, 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 that gained you that title? Yeah, it's, it's a, it's a, it's a solid question. It's got a lot of merit for sure. So, um, a decade and a half ago, um, I, I couldn't, well, longer actually, but I couldn't understand what the word resilience meant, right? So um, for you, Tina, and for the listeners that are joining us for this episode, I grew up in a time where there was no internet. I know, it's weird to think about. Me too. Um, yes. Yeah. So, so we had these things, um, you know, I don't know if you had them, um, called encyclopedias. Yes, absolutely. <laughs> I did all my school reports with encyclopedias, right? Yeah. Right? Yeah. 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 So we had these things called encyclopedias, and we also had this other thing that was called a dictionary. Yes. Yes. And um, we had just gotten rid of our butter churn. I'm just kidding. <laughs> Can I say, hold your thought, but I got to say one thing about the dictionary. My dad used to say, you don't know that word? Go look it up. I'm like, how am I supposed to look it up if I don't know to spell it? Yeah, that's right. That's right. <laughs> I know. Spent a lot of time in there. Right. So, um, so I, I did that. I, I looked up, you know, my dad probably said something similar to me. And so I went to look it up and it was a very circular definition. It was like resilience means to demonstrate, means to be resilient. And, you know, then you look up resilient and it's like to demonstrate resilience. And I was like, okay, this doesn't make any darn sense. Going around the circle. Yeah, exactly. A circular definition. And so when I was doing my fellowship, my pre and postdoctoral fellowships, I was working with patients and their families that had sustained brain injuries and spinal cord injuries, neurological injuries. And we had patients, it's a very long-term rehabilitation and, you know, months and years, not weeks, like a broken arm. And so we had people coming into our outpatient clinic who had experienced their injury, you know, months or years before. And what was really fascinating and important for me at that moment is the patients that were coming in at that time, you know, I'd look at their, their sort of chart and I'd look at them and their prognosis might be one thing. Um, however, the person that was sitting in front of me often was doing better than we thought or not mm -hmm. as well as we thought, but rarely were we hitting the, the bullseye of accurate prognosis. And so this seemed important to me for two reasons. One, for the folks that were doing better than we thought, I was like, what can we learn from these folks that we can share with the rest of our patients? And for the folks that weren't doing as well, I thought, what can we learn from these folks about, you know, what, what not to do, you know, or what might, you know, sort of get in the way of people's rehabilitation. Um, and the second thing was, I really wanted us to be able to provide more accurate prognosis, more accurate information for people at the time of injury, because that's so important when there's a, an unexpected injury like that, a stroke or an aneurysm or a car accident, you know, we're just, we're, we're on every word that the medical community tells us. It's just a really important time. So we, we did this study. I was at an academic teaching hospital where we looked at all of the data. We looked at gender, we looked at socioeconomic status, race, ethnicity, you know, age, all the things. And do you know, <laughs> the, the one thing um, that made the biggest difference for people was 
having access to reliable transportation. Yeah. Having access to reliable transportation was the difference, statistically speaking, between living in an assisted care facility or being able to live independently sometime after an injury, you know? And this makes sense when you think about it, because if you have access to reliable transportation, you can get to your appointments, you can get to the therapies, you can get the services and the resources, right? Okay. So I left my fellowship, um, you know, a decade and a half ago, and I'm still thinking about this concept of resilience. And I'm thinking we're not all going to have brain injuries or spinal cord injuries. And thank goodness for that, because that's a very challenging um, rehabilitation. But as you pointed out, we will all face challenge, change, and complexity. Mm -hmm. And so in those moments of um, inherent challenge, change, and complexity, it's not if, it's when, uh, what will be our version of reliable transportation? What will be our thing or... Mm, oh, I see where you're going with this. Because See was what like, I did there? Going, yeah, I, yes, I did. I did. I was you're like, like, where is she going with this? You're like, nope. <laughs> To the team, we're going to need to edit out about 10 minutes of this interview. <laughs> <laughs> no, I mean, no, because I'm sure everybody that's listening was going, where is she going with this? How does transportation have to do with resiliency? But absolutely. So how, how do you get, how do you, right? How do you get there? Yeah. How and do I, you get through the challenges? I mean, what are the tools that you need? Yes. And it's, it's actually sort of like a, a fascinating sort of figurative element of speech, right? Like what transports us from that challenge to resilience. Right. And so now, you know, I've interviewed hundreds of people and collected thousands of pieces of data asking people about a time when they faced, when they effectively faced. How did they get through it? Indeed. Yes. Okay. And? And so that has given rise to, right, all of this sort of qualitative research that I've collected hundreds of people, thousands of pieces of data to the five practices of particularly resilient people. And so I'm one of the few people, again, this is like, I'm working on saying this out loud. I'm one of the few people across the globe that has created a structured evidence-based framework for what are the specific behaviors that we can engage in, that any of us can engage in. Yes. Anytime challenge, change, and complexity shows up in our lives. And these are the five practices of particularly resilient people. So it gives me, you know, going back to your question, it makes me the number one expert on resilience across the globe. So let me ask you, are these practices only put into place when you're faced with a challenge? Or are these practices that you use every single day so when you are faced with a challenge, you, like I was saying about facing one fear every day. So it, it's like that will, when it does arise, you know, maybe a larger fear, you're kind mm-hmm. of already grounded in that. So see, these are practices, you're nodding your head. So these are practices that you use every day. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, they're, they're called practices intentionally, right? Because we become what we practice. Yes, absolutely. Absolutely. Right? Yeah. I mean, I do a morning routine, you know, based on the, the miracle morning, the, the journaling, the visualization, exercise, everything. And that really does keep me in balance. And 
I've said this a million times before. I mean, every single time, uh, not every single time, but I would say 99.9% of the time when I, I get on with a, a Zoom with a client and they've gone sideways, it's because they've stopped doing their morning routine. And oftentimes everybody, when they stop doing it, it's like, we've all been there. I got this now. I don't need it anymore, including myself. I don't need to do that anymore. Okay, I got it down. I got it. I got it. You know, and then all of a sudden, well, you have to be kind of keep putting that back in. Are you going to share with us those? I know that that you have um, a, well, your your podcast and you have a, a course. It's called Flourish or Fold: The Five Practices of Particularly Resilient People. Mm-hmm. Um, that's your new book coming out, right? Mm-hmm. You also have a course named the same thing. Yep. And yes. then your podcast is Flourish or Fold. So are you able to tell us what the five principles are? Absolutely, positively. Oh, right on. Okay, good. Yeah, yeah, it's no secret. Okay. Um, and and in fact, the the book and the course and the podcast, they're all meant, Tina, to share these principles, to share these practices more widely with the world. Because what happened is I I did this research and um, I've worked for a variety of Fortune 100 companies. Most recently, I headed up executive development and talent strategy at Nike for the, you know, kind of C-suite and top vice presidents in that organization. Mm -hmm. And so what's happened with this sort of research that I've been conducting is it's really primarily been in the hands of the most elite executives, well-known athletes. Um, They're you know, all privy to it is what you're saying. Right. It's, it's, it's folks with a lot of privilege um, yes. have then had opportunity to, you know, to be exposed to this work that I've done. And I've seen the tremendous kind of power of being able to share these principles with these individuals. And I thought, you know, and yet we want to give everyone access, you know, exactly. and, exactly. and to be able to meet people where they are. And so whether that's through a podcast, which is free or a book, you know, which will, you know, be somewhere between 15 and $25 paperback or hard copy, or, you know, the course, which is at a higher price point, we want to be able to give people up. And we have a lot of free content on our yes. website and on our social to really give people an opportunity to interact with these principles. Did everybody get the same them. information, but on like different levels and different yeah. price tiers. Yes. I love yeah. that. I love that. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. So the five practices, um, so the first practice that emerged in this research, I was blown away. I, and and candidly, I like went back to try to recode the data because I was like, no, it's got to be something else. <laughs> you know, I, di- I didn't want it to be. I didn't yeah. want it to be what it was. And what it was was vulnerability. Mm, being and the, like, the ability to be vulnerable. And I was like, darn it, you know, because that's not an area where I'm strong. Yeah, I don't think you anybody know? is. Yeah, and and what. It's like, ouch. <laughs> yeah. It's like it hurts going back to your conversation about fear. It's scary. It's uncomfortable. It's weird. It's, you know, vulnerability in its own right isn't weird, but it feels weird, at least mm-hmm. to me. And I think to a lot of people who kind of like are stepping into their vulnerability. And what's been interesting about that is vulnerability is actually like a squishy, that's a squishy term too. Like when we say vulnerability, what the heck? 
do we mean by that? Well, you know what? The first thing that I thought of, which is the first principle on my book is truth. Recognize ah, your truth, okay? Ooh. Because th- think about it. I mean, being vulnerable is really being able to speak your truth. That's right. Right. But yeah. we don't want to speak our truth because how, it, how we're going to be perceived by it, how somebody's going to judge us or not, or, or, or whatever. So that's, that's what I think. I, I, I love how you, I love how you shared that, how you put those two um, concepts together. I think you're exactly right. You yeah. know, what, what has emerged as kind of the definition of like, what, what is this vulnerability that people have shared when I ask people, how do they effectively address challenge? It's to your point around truth. It's um, allowing our inside self, our thoughts, our feelings, uh, our experience to the greatest extent possible Mm -hmm. to be shared, you know, our internal self to be shared externally. Yes, exactly. World. Right. And you have to be okay with, you have to embrace yourself. If you can embrace yourself first, flaws and all. I was journaling about this the other day. Mm. You can embrace that. Then it's much easier to become vulnerable. It's when you don't embrace who you are, you know, because we like to embrace the beautiful parts of ourselves, but we all have the, the shadow. I, I call them shadow sides of ourselves that we'd like, just want them to go away. And the more that we like turn our backs on the, on the shadow self, it's like the more that they just keep rearing their, their head because they need to be healed or heard or whatever. Right. So yeah, but I think that that for me anyway, that was, that's what makes, and you know what, that's another reason I do this podcast and that's why it's called Transparent with Tina. It keeps me in alignment, keeps Mm -hmm. me vulnerable. It keeps me on track. It keeps me speaking my truth because I mean, I seriously can't have a podcast called Transparent with Tina if I'm not willing to share my own truth and, and stories. Fair point. Fair point indeed. Yeah. (laughs) Okay. So what's number two? Yeah. Well, what I'll just say about vulnerability is, um, I, I love what you said about, there's so much there, right? There's, there's self-love, um, the shadow parts of ourselves that you talked about. There's also this, um, you know, there's the unacknowledged, you know, parts of ourselves, the parts that we've sort of quarantined or put in a container or things that we've like split off from, Yes. yes. you know, so like I, worked with a woman who had an unacknowledged sexual assault and she couldn't figure out why she couldn't get close to, you know, in this case, you know, she's a heterosexual woman. She couldn't figure out how, why she couldn't get close to men in relationships. She couldn't figure out why she couldn't trust people, why she was afraid of the dark. And when we started doing this work on vulnerability, what came up for her is this unacknowledged sexual assault that she had essentially repressed Mm took place in her teens. And part of that coherence in her vulnerability was bringing those unacknowledged parts of herself back into her whole person and then allowing herself to operate, you know, from a place of congruence, right? And, and congruence in vulnerability is a, it's a lifelong pursuit, right? To as closely as possible, allow our inside self to match the outside self that we share to the world. And in certain relationships and environments and circumstances that will obviously be easier than others. Right. Yeah. Right. Exactly. And last part on vulnerability, there is a reason why vulnerability is hard, right? Like if it was easy, 
Brene Brown would have stood up on the TEDx stage and said, vulnerability is amazing and it leads to living a wholehearted life and everybody go do this and we'd all be living these fabulously vulnerable lives. But that's not what's happened in large part because what's also come out of my work is this concept of the vulnerability bias. And what the vulnerability bias tells us is that we all have resilient stories. We all have an imaginary piece of paper that says, people would think I was crazy if, <laughs> dot, mm-hmm. dot. and then right. there's a blank there, right? We can all, we can all like write one thing in there that we have a resilient story that, you know, we haven't felt fully comfortable with sharing with the world. And then when we have the courage to share that with the world, there's this vulnerability bias, right? And the vulnerability bias says, okay, Tina was transparent. She shared her resilient story. Mm -hmm. So I think more of Tina, Tina's credibility rises in my eyes. And yet, right, when I then think about following suit, following your leadership and telling my resilient story, I think, ah, but even though I think more of Tina, I fear the opposite will be true. That when I tell my resilient story, right. I, it won't have that impact. And the the cognitive bias to sound like a real psychologist when I say that is that we think if in some circles, when we tell a resilient story, not only will our credibility be diminished, people won't, it's the three L's. People won't like us, they won't love us, and mm-hmm. they might leave. Mm-hmm. And so this threat of loss or abandonment is very core. And that's what keeps us in our vulnerability cage. So going back to what you were saying about facing fear, vulnerability is very much about allowing ourselves to tell our resilient stories to the right people, to the people who've earned the right to hear those stories and to further create that coherence between inside and outside self. Yes, exactly. You know, just to add to that in my book, I talk about sharing your dreams, dreams and goals. Um, Cause there are, don't share them. There are people out there that are dream smashers. Be very, very careful who you share your dreams and goals with because people that have not achieved their dreams and goals are, you know, threatened by that. And so, you know, you're never going to meet a successful person that's not going to be willing to help or, you know, or share their information. It's the people that have not achieved what they want to in their lives that, it's like they're the ones that are like there's it reminds them of their own um, inability to bring forward their dreams. This podcast is brought to you by Danette May and Mindful Health LLC, featuring Danette May's top superfood product from her Earth Echo Foods line, Cacao Bliss. Nothing feels better than being able to enjoy rich, smooth, creamy chocolate and knowing you're doing something great for your body. It starts with 100% organic cacao beans that are naturally kissed by the sun, maintaining its miraculous health benefits. It's then blended with turmeric, MCT oil, coconut, Himalayan sea salt, cinnamon, and black pepper for the perfect blend to make you feel your best. The result? Fall in love with a truly decadent, healthy, guilt-free chocolate. Removing cravings, facilitating weight loss, boosting your energy, and reducing inflammation with one simple drink. Not only that, it's friendly to paleo, gluten-free, keto, vegan, and vegetarian diets. For the last eight years, Earth Echo Foods has been a leader in the superfoods market and are proud to have served millions of customers worldwide. Use the code TRANSPARENT and receive 15% off your purchase today. Go to earthechofoods.com forward slash transparent with Tina. 
So whew, a lot there with vulnerability. Yes. Yes. And ourselves. Yeah. Um, second practice is productive perseverance. This is mm -hmm. the intelligent mm -hmm. pursuit of a goal, knowing mm -hmm. when in the face of challenge to, you know, persevere, if you will, mm -hmm. and when in the face of diminishing returns to pivot in a new direction or yes. sort of craft that plan B. And that's, it, that's also tough, right? It's, a, it's very much an art and a science that, you know, it really is because, you know, like, again, in my book, I, I, I wrote, I don't believe in plan B. Uh, and I wrote this book in 2011, because I feel like if you have a plan B, then you're not believing in your plan A. But I think there is a difference. I think that, you know, I think that, you know, you can't just keep beating your head in, in the wall. If, if one path is not working, I mean, it's like, it's the universe's way, God's way, whatever saying, Hey, no, look over here. You're missing something. Yeah. Right? But it doesn't need, mean that to completely change your trajectory and go, you know, I'm going to, I want to be a psychologist. My backup plan is to do something like safe. You know, that's kind of what I meant for like the plan B that I don't mm -hmm. believe in because I, you know, I think it's too easy of an out to give yourself that if you have that plan B, that's just an easier um, career or purpose or whatever it is, um, then I don't think you, you're ever going to gain the courage to really follow through with plan A, if that makes yeah, sense. Yeah, absolutely. Yes. Yes to everything. And, and yes, to your point, um, you know, there's, sort but of it is a fine line. Like you said, it is a fine line to go, what, what, it, where is that point? Yeah. And, and I love what you're saying. There's a lot of research too, that backs up exactly what you're saying. And, you know, so this idea of like, um, why you should burn your plan B is mm -hmm. a really important conversation. You know, Arnold Schwarzenegger said when he was training for like, was it like Miss, Mr. Universe or something like that? Uh -huh. You know, he, he was, I think to that point, relatively unknown kind of in the bodybuilding world and he said he didn't have a plan a plan b like that's he, right there wasn't another done. option if there's not yeah. another option you're going to make you know i did you know this show is a testament i you know i've been doing this for a long time i mean i had three local talk shows you know eight years ago and and i lost i shared that i lost everything so the last thing you would think that i'd be doing is be saying an entrepreneur you'd think i'd be like go do something safe and go get a steady paycheck and stuff like that but you know what it's just not in my nature mm -hmm. just not my nature and it's just like you know i know that this was this was a stamp this was a privilege but it was a stamp on my heart that this is my purpose and um mm -hmm. you know i just I can't turn my back on the truth, which that is the truth. Mm -hmm. I think doing anything else would be not only a disservice to myself, but everybody else. Sure. Yeah. I love that. I love that. Um, yes. So the, you know, the research would suggest that um, when we have a plan, when we have a plan B, we, we siphon off some energy you know, mental energy or, you know, toward that plan B and it takes away from the full force of our focus on. I never thought about it that way. That's so true. Thing. You see, yeah. you do, you start siphoning it off. You take yes. some energy and go, here, I'm going to put this over here because this seems safer. Right. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And then before you know it, you're depleted to put the energy into the plan A, which is going to take all your energy. If you really, especially, you know, especially if you have a big dream. 
Mm-hmm. You know, I don't think most people allow themselves to dream big enough. Yeah. I think they're yeah. afraid. Yeah. Well, and what comes up a lot in this conversation too, especially for entrepreneurs, which I would imagine is a, you know, sort of significant constituent of your audience, you know, a lot of people say at this point or ask at this point, okay, well, I've got my day job and I've got Mm -hmm. my side hustle Mm -hmm. and I want to get rid of my day job and make my side hustle the the sort of full-time thing, right? The thing that I spend the full complement of my time on. And, you know, so what do I do? And so I think this is a slightly different conversation than the plan B. And it's also worth mentioning um, because there's a lot of people who um, have or, or, or get to kind of hold on to that day job as a, a stabilizing force to pay their mortgage, pay their rent, take care of their children, contribute to their household while still building and growing, right? The, the company and the thing that they ultimately feel most passionate about creating. And I think when we look at the people that have been successful or arguably most successful in that, right? Like Stephen King, you know, continued to work at a gas station, I think, you know, until one of his books became a bestseller or um, Sarah Blakely, you know, founder of Spanx, you know, she continued to work at her day job until she had really nailed her IP and and had clear customers. And so there is this like sort of plan A, plan B conversation that's so important. And it's also important to talk about how we can sort of keep a foot in two canoes for a period of time for one, um, one investment to be able to feed the other until we're really able to step into the full complement of that purpose full time. Yes, exactly. Yeah. And I have clients that are doing that right now, but I find that the, the, the quicker the transa- transition, the more likely they're actually going to do it. I think if it takes too long, they're just going to, they're just going to um, fall into the fear and say, you know, they're going to give up. Yeah. I think it also depends on the sort of size and, uh, Oh, audacity. I was like audaciousness. Um, <laughs> I think it also depends on the size and audacity of the goal. You know, right. when our goals are large, when we have a lot of audacity, yep. those things just by, by nature of the breadth and heft of what we're creating can take longer. Right. Right. Um, right. And, and, you know, as an entrepreneur, I know as an entrepreneur, everything takes about two to two and a half to three times longer than I think. And yeah, about five times as much. Right. right? And that's why when you are making that transition, you've really got to step on the gas. Mm -hmm. I had, I had a client that we were talking about this today and, and she said, well, I'll get started on that next week. And it was something that was very important to her. That's going to take a while. Mm -hmm. And I said, why would you put it off till next week? Well, I'm Mm -hmm. afraid, you know, it's like, I said, well, whenever you feel that fear and you don't want to do it, think about that. You're just adding more time on you getting this done. Well, I never thought about it that way. Mm-hmm. You know? So, I mean, procrastination is a killer, as you know, it's a killer for, you know, creativeness. It's, a, it, it's just, it's, it's just not a good situation. Yeah. Some, someday isn't a day. I like to it, say, you know, Monday's like a day, yeah. Tuesday's a day. So yeah, some days not a day. Yeah. Some days not a day. 
<laughs> All right. So what's the third we need to get through these? Because um, I've still got more questions for you. So what are the other three? We've covered two, right? Yeah, you're, you're tracking. Um, so the third one is connection. And, mm-hmm. you know, by the time we get to connection, people are like, oh, thank God, something easy. You know, vulnerability, that seems scary. Productive perseverance, that's a lot of alliteration, Dr. Taryn. And then we get to connection and, and they're like, ah, oh, I got that, you know, but actually connection might be actually the, one of the hardest practices. And here's why. Because connection, like the other two, is about navigating this sort of paradox, right? Um, the paradox in connection is our connection to our internal selves, our, our intuition, our worth, our value, mm. desires, and then how we navigate this internal connection with the external connections that we have with others, their desires, yes. their yes. expectations, you know, and and sort of in the in that intersection, right? Um, how, how we navigate our internal connection and to your point earlier, right? Maintain that sense of truth and integrity with ourselves while also maintaining the relationships externally that are important to us. Right. Exactly. So within, so without basically, right? The connection internally first. I mean, somebody said to me today, you know, you want to attract the right person, be your own best friend first, then you're going to attract that person, right? But we've been taught to do it the opposite way. That's right. Someone else said this better than I am about to, but rather than seeking the one, it's about becoming. Becoming the one. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. You you want Mr. Right, become Mrs. Right. Same thing. Yeah, exactly. So that's, so the vulnerability, what was it? The productive. Productive perseverance. Perseverance. Intelligent pursuit of a goal. Mm -hmm. All right. Connection. And then. Yes. And then four is what? Gratiosity. Like gratitude. Like gratitude plus generosity. Oh. Gratiosity. It's a new word. Um, did you make it up? I sure did. Did you really? I did. Oh, that's funny. Okay. Yeah. So gratitude with generosity. Yeah. I like that. Basically, you're getting out of, when you're generous, you're getting out of your own way, right? That's right. It's um, this idea of being able to look on our circumstances, our challenge, change, and complexity, typically after some time, because we're not like in the midst of challenge being like, I'm so glad I have a flat tire. I'm learning so much, you know, but it's like, you know, we get some distance from that challenge and we can find the gratitude in those moments, even if we wouldn't have chosen, you know, that circumstances, the job loss, the health diagnosis, were you going to say something about that? Yeah, I was going to say, you know what helps me when I do that? I, I want to know. It, it can always be worse. I try not to say that out loud because then I find that it gets worse. Really? No, I don't find that. <laughs> I, you know, I never used to do that. I'd be like, like I said, it would be like the end of the world. But now I go, you know what? Yeah, it's not fun, but it could mm-hmm. have been worse. You know? Yeah. I think, I think it can always be worse. So, okay. and, right. and, then, and then the generosity. I love that. Radiosity. Yeah. So generosity then is about sharing our resilient stories with others, you know, yes. in a place of generosity so that others can learn vicariously through our yes. experiences. Yes. You know? And that's why, like you were asking me before the show, that's why I have this show. So uh, uh, yeah. people can identify with that, right? It's almost your responsibility. That's the way I look at it. 
you know, in the Bible, it says when you've learned the truth, it's your responsibility to bring that forward. And it almost is, you know, don't keep it to yourself. I mean, you should share that. But, it, but also when you share it, it helps other people. But by you repeating it, it also kind of becomes more ingrained in you, like on a cellular level. Mm -hmm. right? Yeah, that's right. I think it crystal, the telling of the story um, requires that we crystallize the lessons, I think, in a compelling way to share with yes. others. And then that also becomes part of our kind of storytelling or, or, or narrative. I love that. I love the way that you worded that. Yeah, articulated that. That's fantastic. Yes, so yeah. true. It, yeah. Yeah. And the more you tell it, right, the better you are at articulating it. And the more, again, it gets ingrained. You know, I, I totally believe when you, when you help other people, you help yourself. The problem is we've been taught to help ourselves first. You know, I think, you know, it's, I, I wake up, first thing I usually say is, show me how I can best serve today. Mm. Not, not what can I get today? Because you know what? Don't worry about getting. If you worry, if you just think about serving, it's just the law of rep reciprocity. Rep What's the word I'm trying to say? Reciprocity. Re re yeah, I've never been able to say it. Say it again. I'm there with you. I've got a couple <laughs> of those words in my vocabulary too. I'm, like, I'm gonna say something else. Yeah. 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 Okay. You know, All right. I think it's an important it's an important conversation, right? This sort of like balance, if you will, of give versus get. Yes. Yes. You know, I, I'll sort of play devil's advocate for a moment, which is like we're sort of in the not sort of we're minus the sort of. We're in the midst of this um, crisis here in the United States and in some ways, largely globally, where we're seeing more burnout, more exhaustion, more mm -hmm. loneliness, more anxiety than we've ever seen, you know, sort of to date. And so I think really calibrating where we are and what we need in that moment to sustain ourselves. And, mm -hmm. and many times to your point, it's like not focusing on the get, but focusing on like what I can give. And I think there's a lot of people out there who have like overgiven, you know, we've, we've depleted ourselves. And so then part of that element of sustaining ourselves as humans is like, what energy can we call back to ourselves to ensure that we're restoring, you know, our person before we go out and, and give more? Oh, yeah. You have to regroup. And yes, you cannot deplete yourself. You cannot mm -hmm. deplete yourself. I mean, that, you know, you've heard of this a thousand times, like on the airplane, give your oxygen to yourself first before you give it to your child. Same mm -hmm. thing, right? I mean, and, and that wasn't, that's another false, uh, you know, learned behavior is it's being selfish. If you think of yourself first, it's, you know, and, and I'm, I, I'm, I'm telling you, I feel like most of the things that we've been taught and conditioned to believe are just backwards. If you just turn it the other way around, that's the, that's the way it really is supposed to be, you know, perceived and learned. You know, I think there's a, a really interesting, so this is something I'm starting to explore because I'm starting to really apply these five practices to the concepts of burnout and overwhelm and exhaustion. I'm doing a lot of work with clients on this. And, you know, when we kind of think about this continuum, right? Um, there's there's self-ish, right? Which is like mm -hmm. putting yourself before all others. And then there's self-less, which is putting everyone else 
before us, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, you know, Glennon Doyle, I think, I would say famously talks about selfless, right? In her book, Untamed, where she talks about the highest compliment that's often given to women is like, she's so selfless, selfless. Mm-hmm. We're conditioning, you know, this sort of, um, response in our society that women should aspire to lose themselves. And that's the highest compliment. So we've got selfish and selfless on this continuum. And so one of the things that I'm exploring is like, how can we sort of calibrate for the middle, which is like self full. I don't know that that's the right word, but that's where I am right now, which is like Mm. self full. So how can we find this balance? And it's a nuanced balance for each of us, right. To sort of titrate how can I give and get on a, a, a sort of in an integrated way that puts fuel in my tank and also allows me to give back? I love that. I love that. Well, that, you know, that's the key. The balance is the key because you know mm-hmm. what? It's like we, we have a tendency to, far, to swing too far on the pendulum one way or the other. But I mean, if you can meet someplace in the middle, that's, what, that's, that, that's, the, that, that's the sweet spot. Indeed. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah, absolutely. Okay. So that's gradiosity. So moving right along, because I know we've got a little more ground to cover. So last but not least, we've got possibility. And possibility is about effectively navigating the relationship or the paradox, if you will, of risk and opportunity. So anytime we entertain a new possibility of what could be, um, the fifth practice of particularly resilient people tells us we get to navigate this paradox of risk versus opportunity. Oh, versus opportunity. Okay. Got it. Okay. Oh, okay. All right. Love it. Okay. So we've got the five. Now, uh, this you have made into a book, a course, correct? Yes. So you can either buy, and are both, which is the book, the book is out right now, right? No, the book is not. The book is not out. Books take a long time to publish. Okay. You know. So you, okay. Is the, the course is coming out then? Course is launching next month. Yeah. Course is launching um, in December. And where can people, they can go to your website to get the, the course? Yes. Okay. So mm-hmm. I'm trying to think, I mean, just off the top of my head, if somebody has the course, why would they need the book? Well, I think the book is going to really crystallize. We're doing the course first because this is a great opportunity for us to interact with our audience, to, you know, have the private Facebook group, to do the Oh, group okay. Coaching. All right. So it's going to be, and, uh, is it going to be like a one-on, is it like a one-on, is it a group coaching kind of course or is it like video courses? Um, it'll be video courses where I will also go live on Facebook. I believe at this time we're planning on once a month. Okay. And so this is a really nice way for us to interact with our audience and hear yes. from our audience. What's interesting? What's meaningful? What's beneficial? What do you want to know more about? What are the stories that really inspire you? And so you know, a, a course is evergreen and it's like pretty easy to go in and like re-record a module or create a new, you know, challenge or experiential exercise. Once we publish the book, you know, that's more like 